Chapter 15 of The Great Sinners of the Bible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. The Great Sinners of the Bible by Louis Albert Banks. The Evolution of a Sinner. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, that I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they were hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. Joshua 7.21 The army of Israel had turned cowardly in battle, and their hearts melted like water in the face of the enemy. Never was there a braver officer on a battlefield than Joshua. He was every inch a soldier, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He was heartbroken and in despair at the sudden cowardice of his soldiers. But when he went to God in prayer about it, he soon found out where the trouble was. Some of his people had become greedy and had disobeyed the commandment, which had been very strict, that they were not to wage a war for plunder, and that none of the treasures of the enemy were to be seized upon for private gain. So it came about that God revealed to Joshua the secret of the cowardice of Israel. Nothing will make a people cowardly quicker than to be given over to greed. When Christ went into the country of the Gadarenes and found the man there who was possessed of a legion of devils, and, driving them out of the man, permitted them to go into the herd of swine, after which they drowned themselves in the sea, the hog-raisers of that town immediately got up a procession to come out and petition Jesus to leave the country. They could not deny that he cast out devils, but the danger to the pork business made them cowardly. So, in one of these modern cities, if a Christian minister or a Christian church begins to agitate public opinion and arouse Christian sentiment to enforce law against the liquor sellers, or drive them out of the community. Every man who rents his property for saloons, or gets advertising for his newspaper from the liquor traffic, or is in any way interested in it through his pocket book, will begin to stir up a procession to persuade the radical representative of Christ to depart out of the town. Let a minister or a church attack gambling and seek to protect the young and unwary from the traps of the gamblers and it will not only be the thugs and professional gamblers who will cry out against him or them, but you will be astonished to see the respectable, high-toned proprietors of racetracks and pool rooms who will be arrayed against every earnest defender of the people from the gambler. Cowardly nerve of the people is ever the financial nerve. Let a man have his greed aroused, and, though liberty and humanity and righteousness may bleed and die. The greedy sinner can only gorge himself on the plunder where his heart is set. But it is to the orderly evolution by which a sinner comes to his ruin that I wish to call special attention. Notice how logically this man Aiken, for that was his name, sets forth the pivotal points in his downward career. First he says, I saw, next I coveted, and then I took. Naturally, after having obtained it, and knowing that he had risked his life in breaking the law, 
the next step is, I hid, and then he was discovered, and the end came in his punishment by a horrible death. Go over it again. Saw, coveted, took, hid, discovered, punished. There you have it. It is the story of sin over and over again, all along down the history of the race. Eve saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she saw that the fruit of it was pleasant to look upon, and she brooded over it, and talked with the devil about it, and then took it, and ate of it, and gave to Adam, and then what happened? They felt the dawn of guilt in their consciences. They were ashamed of their nakedness. They tried to make aprons out of fig leaves. They hid away in the shadows of the garden. But that did not silence the voice of God as he cried, Where art thou? And they went out from Eden, that flaming sword waving behind them. Cain saw the prosperity of Abel. He saw God's pleasure in it, and appreciation of his brother's goodness. And he envied his brother. He wanted his brother's blessing without paying the price in goodness. He brooded about it. The more he thought it over, the more he hated Abel. Then he went and tried to pick a quarrel with him. And when Abel would not quarrel, the very sweetness and innocence of his brother's face seemed to stab him like a dagger. Then he killed him and became a vagabond on the face of the earth. Joseph's brethren listened to the prattle of the young lad about his dreams of the sheaves that bowed down to him and the stars that made obeisance and were filled with envy and jealousy. They brooded over it until one day they saw that coat of many colors glistening in the sun as he came over the hills with his father's message. They seized upon him and sold him into slavery. They lied to the old father. They covered up their sin by an oath of secrecy. They kept it covered for twenty years. But in the counting room of Pharaoh in Egypt, when famine had driven them into a strange land, the ghost of the wronged boy came back and stared them in the face, and they cried with anguish, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. Ahab saw Naboth's vineyard and wanted to buy it, and when it was not for sale, he still coveted it and brooded over it until he winked at Jezebel's wicked murder of its owner. Then he entered into possession and was happy for a time. But justice does not sleep. The nemesis was on his track, and at the very spot where Naboth was slain, the arrow found its way into Ahab's body, and the dogs licked up the blood that oozed out of his war chariot. Samson saw Delilah, and was fascinated by her brilliancy and beauty and dash of spirit, and was lord in his sin. Again and again, in contemptuous strength, he escaped out of the meshes that were laid for him. But the day came when his strength vanished, though at the time he knew it not. His eyes were put out, the great arms that could rend a young lion as though it were a kid, were chained to grind at the mill like some poor donkey. And he who had been the hope and promise of a great people, their glory and their pride, became the slave and the laughingstock of his enemies. You see, there is a great law running through all human history, and our text is only in harmony with that law. 
sin in you, if unchecked, unrepented of, unforgiven, will run the same sure and deadly career, and end in destruction. Let us take it up for a moment, point by point. I saw, but you say, how could he help it? Often a man can help it. I have no doubt that many soldiers that day were so desperately in earnest to win victory that they took no note of silver or gold or fine garments. A man is likely to see what he's looking for. Two men walk down the street, and one sees books and pictures and elevating things. They attract his attention and win his interest. The other man sees a saloon sign and snuffs the fumes of liquor through the door. Or he sees something that awakens evil passion or feeds an impure thought already in his mind. And yet I do not wish to be understood as teaching that the temptation is always our own fault. Every one of us will be tempted. The disciple is not greater than his Lord, and he was cruelly tempted. The great point is how we shall treat the temptation. The fatal blunder Aiken made was in permitting himself to remain gazing at those forbidden treasures, thus giving his covetousness a chance to grow and fatten until it overcame his will. The breeding place of sin is in the imagination. No man will ever commit a sin unless he first allows it to nest in his heart. People meditate on sins which fascinate them by their appearance. A man beholds with eye or thought what he knows to be wrong, to be a sin against God, contrary to the divine law, and yet it charms him. He says to himself, If it were only right for me to do it, how great would be the joy! And then, instead of thrusting it out of his mind, he continues to think about it. He turns it over and over again, like a sweet morsel in his imagination. He pictures himself committing the sin, and every time he does so, he is the more fascinated by it. As he thinks about it, the promised pleasures of the sin become more and more attractive, while the ugly, repulsive side is lost to view. And thus days may go on, possibly weeks and months, until an opportunity comes for the sin to be committed. And then, suddenly as a panther, which has been crouching over a traveler's path, waiting hungrily through all the hours of the afternoon, until he shall come back at night from his toil, leaps like a flash of lightning on his victim. So sin, which a man has been getting ready to do, by weeks and months of thought and meditation, suddenly becomes a horrible and soul-blighting reality. The moment the sin is committed, there is born in the wicked conscience a desire to hide it, to cover it up and conceal it from view, not only from the view of the world, but from the view of the soul itself and from the view of God. But this is impossible. There are a great many things that a man has not reckoned with when he commits a sin. He has done violence to his own will. He has unleashed a violent passion or appetite. He has been conquered once, and this enemy of his soul has gained the prestige of victory, and is now domineering and insolent toward him. Conscience wounded will ever and anon rise up to rebuke him, and God is never deluded for a moment. 
It is said that General Kitchener, the hero of Omdurman, knows the Oriental languages almost perfectly. At one of his army camps on the Nile, two Arab date-sellers were arrested as suspected spies and were confined in the guard tent. Shortly afterward, a third Arab prisoner was hastily bundled into the tent. An animated jabbering ensued between the three, and in a few minutes, much to the astonishment of the sentry, the latest arrival drew aside the doorway and stepped out, remarking, All right, sentry, I am going to the general. It was Kitchener. Again, only a few minutes passed when an orderly hurried up and a spade was handed to each of the two Arabs, who were then marched outside the lines, made to dig their own graves, and were then shot. They were very dangerous spies, and Kitchener had detected them. So there is a traitor bundled into our own tent. Our own conscience will bear swift testimony against us if we sin against God. But some of you are conscious of your sin, and are sorry for it. Achan found no place for repentance. He died a shameful and disgraceful death. That is the natural outcome of sin. If unforgiven, it always ends in that. The wages of sin is death. A man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That is the natural logic of a sinful course. How many there are that go on to that fearful end. But thank God, it need not be so with you. You may this very hour repent of your sins and turn from them to Christ, who is able and willing to forgive them and give you a glad and joyous consciousness that your sins are blotted out and will be remembered against you no more forever. Mr. Moody tells the story of a man in one of his meetings who had been brought there against his will, through some personal influence. When he got there, they were singing, Come, O come to me, weary, heavy laden, come, O come to me. He said afterward he thought he never saw so many fools together in his life before. The idea of a number of men standing there singing, Come, come, come. When he started home, he could not get this little word out of his head, and kept coming back all the time. He went into a saloon and ordered some whiskey, thinking to drown it, but it kept coming back. He drank more whiskey. The words kept ringing in his ears. He said to himself, What a fool I am for allowing myself to be troubled in this way. He had another glass and finally got home. He went off to bed could not sleep. It seemed as if the very pillow kept whispering, Come, come. What a fool I was for ever going to that meeting at all, he muttered. When he got up, he took the little hymn book, found the hymn, and read it over. What nonsense, he said to himself. The idea of a rational man being disturbed by that hymn. He set fire to the hymn book, but could not burn up the little word, come. He declared he would never go to another meeting, but the next night he came again. Strange to say, they were singing the same hymn. There is that miserable old hymn again, he complained. 
what a fool I am for coming. Some time afterward, that man arose in a meeting of young converts and told this story, pulling out the little hymn book, for he had bought another copy, and opening it at this hymn, he said, I think this hymn is the sweetest and best in the English language. God blessed it to be the saving of my soul. Christ is still calling. Come to him and be saved. End of chapter 15 Read by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida